Money, Riches, and Wealth is sponsored by the Financial Consulate. Say you don't need no diamond rings and I'll be satisfied. Tell me that you want the kind of things the money just can't buy. I don't care too much for money. Money can buy me love. This is Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Time now for Money, Riches, and Wealth. Here's your host, Drew Tignanelli. This is Drew Tignanelli here, Money, Riches, and Wealth. Co-host tonight, Jackson Courtney. Jackson, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. And uh, Jackson, we're on an open show. You will be answering all the clients' questions tonight, <laughs> all by yourself. We'll see how well you've learned over the years. Anyway, maybe I'll help a little bit. So uh, we're here on an open show, 410-922-6680 is the way to call in and ask your question. Because when we do an open show, you, the listener, are the guest. You get to say this is the topic I want to talk about. This is the question I have. You can help me with this. This will be the most beneficial to me. Um, so call in, ask your question, 410-922-6680. As long as people keep calling in, Jackson, I'm going to keep doing open shows. I used to do a lot of interviewing a guest. And, I, you know, I'm mean, sure it would have been nice and interesting and so forth. But I find the most enjoyment out of answering listener questions when they call in. They have a a situation that, you know, that if we can help them and give them some insight on it, uh, that's what we really get jazzed about doing the show and why we enjoy doing the show, to demonstrate what you should get from a true professional financial advisor. And if you want to call in tonight and ask a question, 410-922-6680 is the way you call in and ask that question. Uh, in the interim, we have to talk about something, Jackson, so... Yeah. Uh, I, I have topics, unless you have one. You have one, I'll let you ask. If, if not, I've got one. Well, Drew, it's uh, nice to be back in the new year here with you. And as you know, we have tax season approaching. Um, so, you know, what are some common uh, mistakes that you see in, in tax season? And what are some ways that you can make sure you're doing them properly? Well, the the most common mistake, Jackson, is that people think TurboTax is omniscient, <laughs> you know, and uh and that, you know, well, you know, TurboTax, you know, it's like uh, T Timothy Geithner says during his uh, interview to be the Treasury Secretary, who happens to actually be the boss of the IRS. And he made all these mistakes on his tax return and they called him on it. And he said, well, I used TurboTax and it didn't ask me that question or something <laughs> like that. It's a classic. You know, I'll Google it one day and and see it. Uh, but. You know, TurboTax is a wonderful program, and people say, well, my, my tax return is really simple. Well, yeah, it's really simple, but if you put, if you, if you click the wrong uh, box, or if you put the wrong information in, or, or there's just one little quirk, and it goes through that tax return, TurboTax doesn't know that that's a quirk or a mistake on your part or so forth. You get the results, you think, well, TurboTax knows, you know, TurboTax omniscient. And the next thing, I'll never forget, I had a good friend of mine came to me, look, look at his tax return. And the only thing that he had that was of any difficulty was a distribution from a 529 plan and he taxed himself 100% on that 529 plan 
and on the distributions of the 529 plant, and he paid penalties on the whole thing, thinking that TurboTax knows what it's talking about, you know? Right. And uh, when I showed him, I said, well, I'll amend the return, and you'll get uh, $1,852 back. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the, the biggest it. mistake is tax software is fantastic as long as you know what the output is supposed to look like. And if you have the ability to look at that tax return, and, and that's why I encourage anybody who uses TurboTax, hire the guy for 50 bucks or whatever to review your tax return, unless you're absolutely certain that that return is so simplistic and you got every number in absolutely perfectly, then great, but otherwise, Get the guy to look at it. You know, it's 50 bucks, you know? <laughs> so anyway, that's, uh, that's the number one beef. I, and you know, the other one, Jackson, is people go to tax preparers and they think the tax preparer is, is, is trying to figure out how to lower their tax bill. The tax preparer is not trying to figure out how to lower their tax bill. Tax preparer is trying to figure out, this is the information you gave me. How do I get it into the tax return properly so that you get the results with the information you gave me. End of the story. There is no further thinking on their part normally. 99% of tax preparers don't necessarily sit there and say, hey, you know, what can we do here? Can we do this? Should have they did a Roth IRA? Maybe it's not gonna help you on the tax return, but we should make sure that you do it. Did you do an IRA? Should you have done a Roth or should you have done an IRA? Did you fulfill your HSA? Is there anything else that we could do? Do you have anything else that we could? You know, that's not. Tax preparers are preparing hundreds and thousands of returns. They've only got so much time in the day, Jackson, and they don't have the time to sit there and worry about it. That's what we do with our clients because we do have the time to do it. Despite right. how many returns we do, that's what they hire us for. That's what we do. Anyway. I can promise you I spend time looking at it. Yeah, I can imagine you spend time looking <laughs> at it, but and you're learning more about what the final output's supposed to look like. So it becomes easier for you. We we review all of our clients. We review their return, whether we do it or we have they have somebody else do it. We review the return, no cost. And if they do it with TurboTax, we're fine with that, and we'll review it at no cost. We'll even help them fix it. And if they can't fix it ultimately with TurboTax, we'll finally get to a point and say, look. Give up the ghost and let us do the tax return, <laughs> you know, and we'll take care of it for you. Anyway, we're on an open show tonight, Jackson, 410-922-6680, 410-922-6680 if you want to call in and be a guest tonight and ask your question. And there's always somebody out there that wants to hear your question. So we'll be right back. Money, riches, and wealth. This is Drew Tignanelli, and I have a question for you. Is your financial advisor a doctor of personal financial advice? Do you get strategies to reduce taxation, Social Security, Medicare advice, sophisticated retirement planning, investment allocation strategies, estate planning, or help with any issue of money? It is time you do a financial physical with me and my team at the consulate and experience the difference. You hear the depth of knowledge we have about personal finance, so do a financial physical and you'll experience what we believe an advisor should do for you. They should be independent, experienced, credentialed, fee-only, comprehensive fiduciaries. They should be a doctor of personal finance and not salespeople selling you products. Set up an introductory meeting by calling 410-823-SAVE, 410-823-SAVE, or go online, Financial Physical. 
com. That's financialphysical.com. It's time you experience the difference. Now back to more of Money, Riches, and Wealth on Talk Radio 680 WCBN. We're back, Money, Riches, and Wealth, here with my co-host, Jackson Courtney. And uh, Jackson, what's happening? Nobody's calling in, eh? Yeah, nobody's calling in tonight. So we do have an open show, though. We have an open show. All lines are open. Nobody's called in. We've already through the first quarter of the show. So maybe you'll call in and ask a question, 410-922-6680, if you have a question and want to call in. There's always some of our regulars out there. <coughs> You know, I came to Maryland last week, and instead of sending me home with a bottle of wine, you guys sent me home with a virus. You know, I really appreciate it. That was uh, very thoughtful of you. Um, now, unfortunately, it wasn't COVID, so uh, just a head cold thing. I've tested a couple times and doesn't say that I have any COVID-type stuff. But, um, you know, I thought I could get a little more of a red carpet next time I come up there. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, we're here on an open show, 410-922-6680. You know, I was talking to Sean this morning, uh, Jackson, and we were talking about business owners. And the purpose I was talking to him about business owners is that that's an area that we really specialize in, is uh, business owners, because I'm a business owner, and... Uh, and I've realized how many times I meet business owners. We do a financial physical forum. We're now looking at the comprehensive picture. We're looking at the big picture. We're not, we're not an insurance agent coming in to sell insurance policies. We're not a broker coming in to sell investments. We're not a lawyer coming in to focus on just the legal work. We're not the accountant coming in to just focus on the accounting. We're coming in <coughs> looking at the, the big picture and trying to figure out what things can they do. And it's amazing how many things are wrong with most business owners we meet. It's just amazing that there are so many things that they could fix that nobody's really ever said to them. Um, right. Be it, be it the corporate structure. Um, the big one that I see a lot of times with fairly successful businesses is they have a thing called a cash balance plan. If you have a cash balance plan and you're a partnership, a sole proprietorship, or an S corporation, hear me. If you're a sole proprietorship, a partnership, or an S corporation, you're fairly successful and you have a thing called a cash balance plan, you have been getting ripped off for the last three years and nobody has said anything to you about it. And you shouldn't have that. You're, you're, you're wasting your money. And the reason is because the tax laws change. When the tax laws changed in 2018, the, uh, the tax structure that you're deferring, you're basically deferring money in a low income tax environment for the business owner and pushing it into the future when you're gonna pay a higher tax rate on it, more than likely. And you're the target that they're after. They're constantly after. They're always saying, you know, oh, you're a business owner. Oh, you make 200, 300, 400,000, or whatever, how much you make. Oh, we're gonna raise more taxes on you and so forth. And so, you know, it is a, an unmitigated mistake to uh, have a cash balance plan, in my opinion, 
Um, now, there are exceptions to everything. I, I will give you that. There's exceptions, <laughs> but I don't have time right now. Let's go to Joan in Baltimore. Let's just remind our callers we're on an open show, 410-922-6680. If you want to call and ask a question, go ahead, Jackson. Okay, we're going to go to Joan. Hi, gentlemen. I'm calling hey, with a question regarding language on a property deed. Okay. And my parents are, are, are deceased, and I have siblings that we're trying to figure out what the status of this property is uh, in relation to the deed that my parents recorded in 1957. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so um, the language says that my parents were the grantees of this property and that they were assigned the property and then their successors and assigns as tenants by the entirety, the survivors of them and his or her heirs and assigns. Does that mean that this is sort of um, tenants in common, or are we joint tenants? We're not sure if we each have equal share that we own. Um, and then when one sibling should pass away, does that sibling's um, portion go to the other owners or to their heirs? A little complicated. Yeah, it does. It is. I'm not a lawyer, so I can't answer that uh, fully. But uh, it seems like it says that they're the they're owning the property tenants by the entirety, right? That's correct. Yes. So if they owned it tenants by the entirety, then when they died, then it would basically go to their will, and their will would dictate it, unless that further language, for some reason or another designated a next uh, a next uh, beneficiary technically it's not really a beneficiary but a next in line to take over the the property per the right. deed but right. that's what we're thinking and then it just goes on to talk about you know the survivors and then his or her heirs and assigned so I'm thinking we talk well, about grandchildren you know the no the only the only heirs would be the children okay because right. if if they have a will, then you're the you're the uh, I'm assuming that your parents had a will of the last of them to die had a will and whoever had the will last to die left everything to their children is that correct they had a will but not recorded it didn't matter okay. you know um and how long ago <laughs> did the last one die 2017 <clears throat> 2017 yeah so what you need to do is get that will out for the last one to pass away. So you didn't go through probate for the last one to pass away. Yeah, an estate trust was established. An estate was established. Yes. A, a trust? Yes. From the last one? Yes. And who, did, who, were the, who were the beneficiaries of this trust? That would be the four children. You and your siblings? Yes. Okay. And uh, what happened to the house? Didn't you ever do anything with it in the trust? No, the, the plan is to sort of keep the house in the family. So okay. That's sort of what we've been doing. My, uh, my sister and I have been living here and you know, paying taxes and keeping the, the house going. But um, we have other you know, siblings that are involved, and one is now deceased. And the question is, you know, so he's deceased. What but, about his wife? Is she now? Like, no, no, okay. no. I mean, it could be, it could be, it, you know, 
Um, see, this gets complicated because whoever did the estate in 2017 should have done something with that house. They didn't do anything with it. They just left it like that. Yes. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't I don't know who the attorney was on that, but make sure you send his name to me or her name to me in email so I don't ever use them. Um, <laughs> um, that's a, I mean, that's bizarre that you would have an estate and, you know, somebody passed away and they do nothing with the deed on the house. I mean, you had to do something with the deed on the house because technically you and the, chil- the children were the beneficiaries or the trust was the beneficiary of the estate. That's right. And, and the, the property should have gone into the trust. And that, that house should have been retitled in the name of the trust, if I'm hearing you right. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a lawyer. I didn't write the language of the deed. I'm just telling you from my experience, that house should have been part of the probate assets. It should have gone into whatever the will said it goes into. It should be in the trust. Now, if it's not, then you're absolutely right. You and your siblings probably own it, tenants in common. And if you own it, tenants in common, and the one that passed away, whatever his will says, whoever his heirs were, is who will now own his or her share once that person passed away. Right. Okay. Okay. So I would take that, I would take that will and that deed to a real estate attorney and get them to help you figure out how to get it right, you know? And uh, I use Jeff Higdon in Towson. Uh, he's a nice guy, he's definitely real estate knowledgeable. He's definitely estate knowledgeable. He could work it out for you and figure out where you actually stand today and what should be done. Jeff Higdon. You want his phone number? I know I it. That'd be wonderful, thank you. 410-828-1946. 1946. And he'll work that out. He'll get figure out, okay, where's the deed? What's the will? You know, how's it written? And they'll figure out how you get it, it to where it needs to be. I, hopefully it goes into trust because if it goes into trust, then it eliminates your brother's passing to decide who in his will, who gets the property because the trust already says who gets what when people start dying. Gotcha. Okay. All right. All right. And here's my final question. Can the property owner record their own deed? Yeah, they surely can. They can. They can always go into the courts. You just have to do it right. Yeah. You know, okay. you don't uh, need to have an attorney if you do it. No, you don't need okay. to have an attorney, but uh, it's usually good to have one. Right. <laughs> as somebody <laughs> <Okay>. proved. <laughs> well, I appreciate your help. That was very helpful. Thank you. All right, Joan. Good question. Excellent. Uh, we've. We're on a uh, open show, Jackson. We're running out of time in this first half of the show. 410-922-6680 if you want to call in and ask a question. Nobody's on the line. Joan was the only one. We don't have anybody else right now, right? Yeah, we're yeah. we're all clear right now. Come on, Jackson. you got to get on the ball here. Get I these know. callers coming in. 410-922-6680. This is Money Rich and Wealth. We'll be right back. back to more of Money, Riches, and Wealth on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. We're back, Money, Riches, and Wealth. It's Drew Tignanelli here with co-host 
Jackson Courtney. We Jackson rounded up a few of his friends to call in. <laughs> now these aren't your friends, are they? I, I don't know. We're going to find out. We're going to find out. Let's go to Tom in Baltimore, Jackson. Okay. Hello. Tom, how can we help you? Yeah, question. Um, I have a 529 from, from what, well, well, for my kids, but they've kind of graduated. And i got some money left over in there. What are my yeah. Well, you've got a really cool new option that just happened two weeks ago. Just at the end of the year, as much as the negatives are about the omnibus bill that was passed at the end of the year, there was a cool little provision in there about 529 plans. How much money is left in the plan? Uh, two thousand. Two thousand. And were those that that five twenty nine plan open for a good fifteen years? Uh, no. When did you open it? Oh, I would say uh, eleven years ago. So it's almost fifteen years. Yes. Okay. So the new law says this: if you have that account open for fifteen years, at the end of 15 years, whoever the beneficiary is of that account, and you can change it to anybody you want it to be, including yourself, at the end of 15 years, you can move that money tax-free from the 529 over to a Roth IRA tax-free and grow in your Roth IRA tax-free for the rest of your life. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So if you want to do it, uh, how many children do you have? Uh, three. Three. So you could do you could do a portion to all three of the children, change the name of the beneficiary three years in a row and put seven hundred in this child's Roth IRA, seven hundred in that child's Roth IRA, seven hundred in that one. Or you can change the beneficiary to yourself and four years from now, when the account's open for fifteen years, mm -hmm. you can just move the whole thing into your Roth IRA. So that's one of the options. Um the other one is you have to go find what the cost basis of the uh, four of the five twenty nine is. In other words, how much of that two thousand or so is your money that you put in, and how much of that is growth, interest, and dividends? Right. So if it's a thousand and a thousand, you would pay taxes only on a thousand, and you'd pay a hundred dollar penalty. So you might walk away with fourteen hundred after you're finished paying taxes on it. But I would save it and do it with the Roth IRA. Or you can just leave it there and wait for your grandchildren to come along and change it to the beneficiary to one of your grandchildren. Yep, yep, yeah, that's good. Yep. So there's your two, there are two cool options is save it for the grandchildren or flip it into a five, 529 into a Roth under this new law. Right. And I, don't, I believe that that law, Jackson doesn't even go into effect until 2024 or 2025. Right. I okay. believe it's so, 2024. So you have to wait a couple of years before it goes into effect anyway. So you've got four years to go. That's a cool thing to do with the two under this new law. All right? Yeah. Thank you. Good call, man. Take care. Ken in Rosedale. Let's go to Ken Jackson. Okay. Hello, Ken. Ken. Hi, Drew. Hey, how you doing, buddy? Pretty good. I heard earlier you recommended a lawyer in Towson that handles trusts. Well, he's a he's a you know he's a general practitioner. He does a lot of estate planning and things. He can do trust work. He does a lot of trust work for us. Yeah, but it depends on the type of trust and so forth. Well, what do you? That's, that's what I'm not so sure about. What um, do you? Go ahead. No, what are you looking for? What's your what's up? 
Um, the wife has another sibling. The parents died. Left okay. A farm and a very large $2.5 million. Okay. The wife is not of sound mind. The sister is the executor of the trust, I guess. Okay. I, I haven't seen it. I don't know that much about it. But I know everything's still titled in the sister's name. Is um, there any legal course or whatever for my wife to make her decision to donate her part of the inheritance to a charitable organization? Well, uh, wow, that one's a complicated one. I'd have to see that one. <laughs> you know, so mom and dad die or, or right. mom's still alive? No, both the parents are deceased. So who's not of sound mind? Uh, the wife, my wife. Your wife. Your wife is having, um, you know, mental uh, disability issues. Okay. So when mom and dad died, they left the farm and so forth in a trust? Correct. But you're saying that the property is still in the sister's name, right? How did that happen? How can they leave it in a trust but ends up in the sister's name? I guess she's the executor of the trust. Well, but she would be the trustee of the trust. So it's not in her name. She's just the trustee of the trust. She's the one managing the trust. Okay, well, as far as I know, it shows up in Baltimore County land records as it does say trustee. Well, then that's, that's the way it should say. It should say the sister trustee, and now it's the trust that mom and dad wrote, okay? Okay. Now, here's what you need to do, all right, Ken? Listen, here you go. You need to get the trust document and understand the provisions of the trust document. That's the key to everything that you're talking about. And you have the right to get it. Well, your wife has the right to get it. Okay. And that document is going to tell you everything. Now, do we need to get a lawyer to get that trust document? And where would I get that? Or You can just ask your sister. I would like a copy of the trust document. There's, there's a lot of hidden money that hasn't been revealed. Well, you know, then you need a lawyer to help you go and talk to the sister and say, you're a fiduciary. You have personal liability in this, and if you don't start revealing it, uh, we're, we're going to take you to court. That's the only way you would be able to do it. Okay. But it, the document is everything right now. All you right. need to see that Where, document. Is that a public record? No, no. That's one of the beauties of trust, is they're completely private. Okay. All right? Good question, Ken. i got to move Great on here. You, Drew. Take care, my friend. Good, okay. We're going to question. Let's go to, to Claude. Claude? How are you tonight? Great. And you? All right. I got a, well, it's not really a dumb question, but if you start a business and you, you're on disability, Social Security disability, but you try to start a business, but you put all the money into the business and you don't take the money, can you still collect disability? Um, the answer is yes and no. 
<laughs> you say, well, that's really great, Drew. Very helpful. Um, if the business, if the business is actually profitable, and if the business shows that you are working in the business more than a certain amount of time, they can cut your disability off, even though you don't have more than so much in wages. And they actually have um, disability representatives. I had a good friend, Jack Friel, used to be a disability representative. He'd go out and stand in front of, you know, sit in a car in front of the workplace to see if that person was coming and going. And if he was, he was going to challenge them that, you know, you may not be taking a salary, but you're working plenty. I've seen you. Here's the, here's the videos of you doing this and that. So the answer is yes, you can do it and you can work and not take the money out. Um, but if you're really working significant and the business is making money and you're saying, I'm not making anything, then yes, they can take your disability away, but they'd have to do it through an investigation. If the business not making any money, more than likely they won't take your disability away from you. But if you are spending a significant amount of time in it, even though it's not making money, um, they may say, well, are you really disabled anymore? And maybe you ought to just go get a job that will pay you an income. So you have to be careful. It's a fine line. Um, one of the best ways you could do that is you could actually talk to the Social Security people and find out what they will let you do. How old are you right now? I'm only 56. 56. So you got 10 years to go until your disability flips to regular retirement. You can do anything you want. Right. All right. Great question, Claude. Take care. Bye, buddy. We got to take a last pause. We're going to come back and talk to Sandy and Jim if you'll hold on for us. But if they don't hold on, you know, there's still another line or two open 410 922 6680. We'll be right back. Money, riches, and wealth. This is Drew Tignanelli, and I have a question for you. Is your financial advisor a doctor of personal financial advice? Do you get strategies to reduce taxation, Social Security, Medicare advice, sophisticated retirement planning, investment allocation strategies, estate planning, or help with any issue of money? It is time you do a financial physical with me and my team at the consulate and experience the difference. You hear the depth of knowledge we have about personal finance, so do a financial physical and you'll experience what we believe an advisor should do for you. They should be independent, experienced, credentialed, fee-only, comprehensive fiduciaries. They should be a doctor of personal finance and not salespeople selling you products. Set up an introductory meeting by calling 410-823-SAVE, 410-823-SAVE, or go online, financialphysical.com. That's financialphysical.com. It's time you experience the difference. Now back to more of Money, Riches, and Wealth on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Let's rock and roll, uh, Jackson. Let's go to Sandy if she's there. Okay. We'll go to Sandy in, in Pikesville. How you doing, Sandy? Hi, thank you for taking my call. Yeah. My question is, if you have an old credit card that you're no longer using and you close it down, does that affect your credit score in a negative manner? 
Uh, yeah, I don't understand the logic behind that, but yes, it does. I did that to myself about 20 years ago. <laughs> I had a credit card that I never, never used anymore, and I uh, closed it down, and they shot my credit score down by about 10 or 15 points. Okay. Um, and that was always for the next 15 or 20 years as I rebuilt that up. Um, you know, they... They said, your oldest credit card's only five or six years old. So, you know, but yeah, that you should just keep it alive somehow without closing it down. Okay. I had heard that. It didn't make sense to me, but. It still doesn't make sense to me, but my wife has a higher credit score than I do. And uh, <laughs> I can assure you that if I'm not here, she ain't paying that credit card bill. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Take care. Take care. Okay, let's go, to, we'll Jim. go to Jim. How you doing, Jim? Hey, good evening. Yeah, Jim. Um, I've always been told there's no stupid questions, so here we go. Okay. Um, why don't people invest in forever stamps? There's nothing wrong with that. It's You're betting on the inflation rate of the U.S. Postal Service. Right, and look, I mean, they just... They just jacked it again. Um, so, I, I, can can individuals sell the stamps? Yeah, you can. It's perfectly legal to sell forever stamps to people for the current going rate of uh, mailing a letter. You know, it's perfectly legal. So, if you paid twenty cents for it and the going rate is sixty cents, you can. You know, you're probably going to have to give a discount to people. Because they're not buying it, they are going to always worry that you're a counterfeiter or something. Um, so you might have to sell it to them for fifty-five cents or fifty cents to encourage them to buy it from you. But yeah, it's perfectly legal if that's what you want to do. Let me know how that works out for you, though. <laughs> All right, yeah, I'm thinking about doing it. Okay. All right, we heard it here first, Jackson. Okay, I'm going to remember right. that. We're going to remember. An Eastern Shore question. There you go. I thought it was a good one. I like that. You know, let's yeah. go to Bob in Timonium there, Jackson. Okay. Hey, Bob, how are you? Uh, fine. I have a question, not exactly about finance, because you've answered other ones for me and other calls, but this one was uh, on compensation. If we go with a company like yours uh, and you say it's fee-based as opposed to uh, other ways of doing it, without being too intrusive, how do you how do you figure? Let's say, do you figure on the total amount of our account, my wife and I, or how would you how would we be, how would we be paying you to do your job to help us? In other words, so what we are is fee only, and there's only a handful of companies in the in the country that are allowed to use that term. They have to be part of NAFA, um, et cetera, et cetera. And fee only means that your your compensation is either on an hourly rate a fixed rate or an asset under management rate and what we do is we typically charge assets under management so let's say you had a 401k with 400,000 in it and you had other investment accounts with 500,000 in it and we couldn't we're not able to manage your 401k but we're able to manage the other $500,000 we would charge a fee of maximum we ever charge is 1% of assets under management. And it's only the assets that we actually are managing, not other assets that we may be consulting with you about. But that would include advice on what to do on other things like. 
Yeah, our one percent is comprehensive in everything. We're doing the. We're not only managing that account, but we're also consulting on the things that are happening in your company benefits. We're consulting on your estate planning. We're consulting on your income taxes. We're consulting on all your insurance policies. Anything to deal with your personal finances is all included in the fee that we're charging to manage that portfolio. And when you're saying one percent, is that? And that would be, I have about 450 to 450 to 475 under company 401 and then about 550 of my own. Uh, that would, is that 1% fee one time? Is it every year or how does that? It's, it's, it's billed quarterly, a quarter percent per quarter. And keep in mind, 1% is the maximum it would ever be. If you had more money, it could go lower. If we did different strategies, it could be lower. So our minimum fee per year is $5,000. Always our minimum fee is 5000 unless for some reason we need to waive that for a, for a unique purpose, and it can happen occasionally. But our minimum fee is normally 5000 a year. But because we're doing all the comprehensive advice, uh, advising as well as manage the investments. So most people pay most people pay that fee just for somebody to invest their money and they don't get all the comprehensive advice that's the big difference between what we do and others do when you say to invest their money you're talking about as, as a stockbroker is that, is that what you're referring to? most most stockbrokers or other people that call themselves financial advisors will charge up to one percent or even more i mean i just we just dealt with a client today she's paying 1.25 percent and not getting all the comprehensive tax planning advice estate planning advice etc etc and very few people can do it at the caliber that we can also very few people have the expertise in taxes that you know our team of cpas and so forth do also so you know that's the difference Florida now you have and I'll, I'll, I'll let you go to the next car but you have offices in Towson too or Tremonium? Uh, uh, Hunt Valley is our main location. We have an office in Gettysburg, and you can always come see me in Amelia Island if you'd like. All right, <laughs> great question, Bob. Thank you. Thank Thanks, Bob. you. Okay. Let's go to see if we can get Bob in Westminster there, Jackson. Hey, Bob, how are great. you? Great. Thank you very much. Good evening. I have related questions of converting to a Roth IRA. One is I have a traditional IRA, and I'm thought I read where we have to, and I'm taking RMDs. So I, I think I read somewhere where I have to take my RMD first before I can convert any money to a, a Roth IRA. Is that correct? Absolutely correct. So let's say you had a five hundred thousand dollar IRA and you had a, a twenty thousand dollar required minimum distribution, and you want to do a conversion, but you maybe you don't want to take your RMD right now. Okay, you want to take it later, but you'd like to do your conversion now. Well, unfortunately, the law says no. You have to take that required minimum first before you can do any conversions, period. Right. That's what I thought. Yeah, they want to get the money, you all know. Well, I can see the logic behind it, because if somebody did a conversion it could look like they've taken their RMD yeah, and exactly. nobody would know it. Um, you know, it wouldn't be easy to put the blocks back together again. So yeah. people could use that and manipulate that uh, to not take their RMD. Right. Or, 
I'm sorry. My second related is uh, I work for go state government, so I have a 457 plan. And I think I understood that I cannot go from a 457 plan and convert to a Roth. I have to roll that over into a, a traditional IRA and then uh, convert to a, a Roth IRA. Is that correct? Well, as far as I know, that's correct. I don't know of any way that you can go from 457 direct to a Roth IRA, only to a traditional IRA. But it's no big difference. I mean, there, there's no negative to go into the IRA first and then to the Roth. Right. All right. No, because they're separate. I raise separate points. I have to take my RMDs out of both of them first, and then I'd have to convert. Yeah, well, the 457, yeah. you're always going to have to take it from there. And always keep uh -huh. in mind, Bob, that you can, if you're charitably minded, you can give your RMD to charity um, and not pay taxes on it. You cannot yeah, do I'm that from that a 457 yeah. plan. Exactly. And that's what I'm doing to save my cash flow out of my checking account. That's exactly what I'm doing. Good job. Good job, man. Well, I you, listen to you. I there you go. Again, so Somebody listen. listens to me. I was going to say, teach, Bob must be a listener. Teach Jackson how to listen to me now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks very much. You all have a happy new year to you. Okay, take right. care, Bob. Thank you. Anyway, this is um, the end of the show. It was Jackson's birthday last week, and... Uh, and I want to just say that I was teasing him. That he's a he's a fine listener. He's a mature young man. He's a great guy. I really uh, am honored to have him on our team. And so, Jackson, happy birthday to you. And uh, we're at the end of our show. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Anyway, this is Drew Tignanelli saying God bless. Things are gonna be much